gentlemen, coaches of the world, welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. This is episode number 22. I'm Joel, and in case you didn't know, this podcast is all about being an extraordinary coach, and I'm going to be speaking with master coaches, thought leaders in this topic each podcast. And I've just finished recording today's podcast with Michael Neal and I'm feeling alive and excited. We've been exploring the topic of creating the impossible. And what I love about Michael's work is that he's pointing to a a radically different way of experiencing the world, what he calls an inside-out understanding, and how once we adopt this inside-out understanding, our life really changes. We can begin to tap into this huge creative potential that exists here right now. And I've seen this in my clients so many times as I've allowed the ideas that you'll find in this podcast to influence my coaching. Clients begin to drop out of this strategic, agitated thinking, moving around and around in their thoughts. And they drop out of that and they begin to access an innate intelligence and clarity that exists here right now that shows them what is the next step to take on the path towards living their dreams. And it's a radically different place to create from. It's fun, it's easeful, it's effective. So that's what we're going to explore in this podcast today. We're going to explore how can we as coaches and How can we help our clients to shift, to live from this inside-out understanding in order to create the impossible? Great to see you again, Michael. I'm super excited to dive in with you. It's always fun to talk. So uh, how's things with you today? I know you've got a little friend with you as well. (laughs) Well, we may may as well come clean. Literally, as we were about to start, my new puppy, Lily, um, pulled a tea mug, a full tea mug, off of a obviously too low table and uh, it smashed and tea went everywhere. So I'm well. <laughs> your, your office is doing less well. <laughs> My office will recover. Cool. I wanted to talk to you today about this cool book that you brought out this year, Creating the Impossible, which... This one? Um, the same one. You've got <laughs> the same. How's that possible? Um, so, so yeah, we're going to explore some of the cool ideas in that book. And um, I think really, it's a really important topic. I wanted to kind of throw a small curveball at the start and ask you this question, though, which is, what do you think is the secret ingredient to your coaching that makes it powerful? Uh, well, the first thing that actually threw me is you used a curveball analogy instead of a spinner analogy. <laughs> I'm sure you did not grow up with baseball. Not um, at all. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for adapting to my language. What, what is the secret? I, do you know what it is? I I think it is probably that I don't have um, I don't have a typical agenda. Um, it's not quite true to say I have no agenda in the sense that I, I want, I want people to come alive. I want people to wake up to their own magnificence. I want people to get past their psychology, right? To, to not get stuck in it, not to fix it, just get past it, to live beyond 
their mm-hmm. psychology before their psychology. I want people to create cool shit in the world if they want to create cool shit in the world. But I don't care what they do. Mm-hmm. I don't, um, I, I, it's not even right to say, well, if they want to do it, I want them to do it. Because some of the stuff people want to do is stupid. Right. And they realize that along the way because it comes from their psychology. It comes from their ego. It comes from their low self-esteem. It comes from their mommy and daddy issues. It comes from mm. some desire to prove something meaningless to the world. And so, no, I'm not necessarily behind that, mm. but I am totally behind what wants to be created through them. Mm. I'm totally behind their living a life worth living from their point of view. And, and part of that might be creating some stuff that they realize once they've created it, Oh, that didn't do what I thought it would. But, but, but often you can kind of just skip that bit Mm -hmm. and go straight to the, the stuff that wants to be created through you. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. You said like getting beyond their psychology. And I think, you know, a lot of coaches might say, no, let's work with their psych psychology. And so it's, I noticed the difference there. Could you say a little bit? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's fundamental to the work that I do and trainings that I do with coaches is look, people have been messing around with our psychology. I mean, they've actually been doing it for thousands of years, but they've been doing it really specifically for a couple hundred years and, and nobody's doing that great. Like, like, you know, yes, we can absolutely take care of specific symptoms. I mean, it, is, it, it does seem to be good for phobias and for anxiety attacks and things like that. But beyond that, I know some of the top therapists and self-help gurus in the world, and they're all messed up. I mean, I mean, you know, no more or less than anybody else. But it's not like anybody has gotten to this state um, you know, even the even the enlightened people, if 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 you read their stories, I mean, it's less obvious with the ones who are alive now. They were all messed up, right? So that doesn't seem to me to be on the menu. But what is on the menu is living a rich, full life beyond your psychology. I'll give you a, a, give you an example. I, I was working with the, the comedian Gary Shandling, long time ago now, and uh, he. He, 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 I jokingly, I said to him at one point, I, I'm sorry, because he was getting upset. And I said, I'm sorry, Gary, am I not giving you enough praise? And he laughed and he said, I oh, don't worry about it. It's a black hole. Now he was kidding, but he wasn't. Right? Like he, he really just, you know, his, his thoughts were a mess. But they didn't stop him from being one of the funniest, most creative, loving people I'd ever met. Hmm. Right? That for me is the game to 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 create in spite of your psychology but what it does what coming alive does mm-hmm. what waking up to what we have inside us does is it melts your psychology it, it does impact it your psychology will change but not because you work on it it's like an iceberg and your aliveness is the sun and so your psychology melts over time mm-hmm. from that place and, and so it's not like, no, you just have to suffer and create. No, you, you absolutely don't. But most people's problem is, is that they let their psychology stop them or drive them. And, and that's what I mean by going beyond their psychology. Yeah. Because you said like coming alive and, and waking up. And so this is a big question, but 
how do you help people do that? Because I mean, I've been really excited since discovering your work and how you talk about harnessing this kind of creative potential that, mm. that, that we are in a sense and exists all around us and, and how, you know, shaking me out of that kind of paradigm of like, Oh, I need to, you know, tinker with my psychology one day when I get it right, then, you know, then it'll all click together, you know, but endlessly, endlessly tinkering with it. And so perhaps you could say something about the kind of paradigm that you're coming from this waking up and this coming. Well, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, here, here's the thing. We're already awake, (laughs) right? That's why we can have this conversation, but But what we tend to be asleep to and fall asleep to is life moving through us, is spirit moving through us, is God moving through us, is um, the isness moving through us. I mean, we can Mm. can pick a word, right? Because all these words are trying to describe not in my cosmology person, place, or thing, but the energy of life itself, the, the, the intelligence at the heart of everything. And so because it's already there, my job is kind of to just A, keep pointing them back to it and B, slap them around a bit when they fall asleep. And, and it, it, look, I, it, well, I, that sounds very tough and manly. It, you know, slapping around is just often the case of being with people and, and laughing at their thinking with them and, mm-hmm. and, um, and pointing out, you know, that's not true, right? When it isn't. Right, you know that's only in your head, right? Because it is, um, you know, in the in the in the um, creating the impossible. I, I I used the analogy at one point of, look, I'm saying that everything is made of thought, but even if you can't believe that, anything you can't put in a wheelbarrow is clearly made of thought, right? So you can't put self-esteem in a wheelbarrow, you can't put pride in a wheelbarrow, you can't put God in a wheelbarrow. And that means that it's ethereal. That means that it's ephemeral. That means that it's temporal. It comes and goes as our thinking changes. Mm. And yet we will devote years of our life force and energy and action to fixing something that only exists in our own mind. Mm. And that's a waste of the creative force, to my mind, when you can use that same creative force to get things out of your head and into the world, Mm. to actually create Right. So, so in a sense, like thought can be something, uh, this creative potential of thought is something that can limit us and we can be stuck in it if we don't understand the nature of it. But it can also be something we can harness in order to. Oh, absolutely. You, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's how we use it. Right. And it's, and, and, and that's a little bit of a misnomer because that suggests a degree of control we don't really have. Like, oh, I will think these thoughts and not those thoughts, but you can kind of aim thought. Mm. Right. Like, I don't know if you've seen um, Incredibles 2 yet, but yeah, I'd say yet because you should see it. Um, but there's, there's a great <laughs> character in there. And I, I this isn't a, a spoiler, but, but it, it, the baby, uh, has powers and they don't really know what the baby's powers are. They're all a family of superheroes. And one of the baby's powers turns out to be laser eyes, except the baby has no control over them at all. So they just literally destroy everything they look at. And then they kind of, with the baby, they learn that if they pick up the baby and aim him and go, (laughs) they can deliberately destroy things. It's like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? That if we have no idea what's going on, like the baby in The Incredibles do, we'll destroy everything we look at. Like, like thought will just cloud it. Mm. And if we have dark thoughts, everything will be dark. If we have bright thoughts, everything will be bright. And it's not that helpful. Whereas if we learn to aim it in a direction, that same creative force, that same creative potential will start to create in that direction. And we'll get ideas and insights and breakthroughs and, 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 and creative impulses and inclinations in whatever direction we're aiming the mind. So maybe this is a good place to, because we're talking in a way now about some of the, the ways that we can unlock our creative potential and, and the principles of creativity. Maybe you could kind of give us a, um, a sense of like, what is creating the impossible? What is that idea? And then we can start to plug some of these ideas yeah. into that. And I'd love to ask you about inside out understanding too, and then start to weave it all together. So I'll let you do that. But, yeah. um, I'll just respond. Yeah. So creating the impossible it first came to me as an idea in 2008. Um, I, I'd been working with clients at that point for 18 years. I uh, started in 1990. And one of the things that I noticed again and again and again is that the goals people brought me were either lame or grandiose. And what I mean by that is they were either like, oh, I really want to do 10% better in my business this year. And it's like, okay, you know, I, I need a nap first, but then we can do that. Or I want to be the richest man on the planet. And it's like, really? Why? Mm. <laughs> right? So it's not about big. It's just about like neither of those felt real when I would talk to people. And when I would talk to them more, they clearly weren't. They were what they thought they could have in the case of 10% more or what they thought would make them something that they thought that they weren't like king of the world. And, and, what I found is, and I found this long before I was doing the work that I do now, I, I found that people always had some things that they would absolutely love. You'd see their eyes light up, but that they would then switch them off because it's like, well, what's the point? That's impossible. Hmm. And, and so one day it just dawned on me, well, why don't we just start creating the impossible? And then we'd only work on the stuff that we actually want. And it turns out that when you aim that laser of, of the creative potential at anything, it brings you ideas. It makes things possible. And so when you started deliberately aiming it at things you thought were impossible, but really would love to see come into the world, you think, oh my God, wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? Well, it works just as well there. And more often than not, these things that looked completely impossible to the point where you never even started or gave up at the first obstacle are, are completely possible. Right. And so people, I mean, we throughout history, we see that people have done the impossible, but actually my clients all started doing the impossible. And I thought, well, this is a good idea. So I created the first program version of it back in 2009, where we deliberately worked on our impossible projects together. And that program's developed over the years and, you know, is our biggest program every January. And, and then this year I finally uh, got it out in book form as well. Mm. Nice. So this, how do you know what, like determine what's impossible? Like, well, I, I don't I mean, I guess to hold, yeah. hold myself up too much as an arbiter. It's a little bit arbitrary. Yeah. Right? The idea is really like if I was, if I was, if I was being completely accurate in the title and it would be 
create what you actually want to see come into being in the world, whether you think it's possible or not. But yeah. honestly, that's a really crap title. <laughs> right? So it, it, it is. I tell people, look, you've got, to, you've got to feel, we do it as a 90-day program at the moment. It's a 90-day program in the book. And I say, look, you, you've got to have less than a 20% shot at this to make it even worth considering. And you've got to be 10 out of 10 about wanting it. Right. So that's sort of our arbitrary uh, thing. But the point and what everyone gets as they go through the program is, oh, I can, I, it's worth my time to go for creating what I actually want, regardless of all my thinking about why I can't have it. Mm. Nice. And there's something you talked about, how do I wake people up? Well, part of it is just waking them back up to their dreams. Like not the grandiose I'll be an amazing person and get laid if dreams, but, but the, um, the ones in their heart, the ones that have never really left like this all, my, my entire writing career started in the back of a cab in Chicago, right? 2005 performing at a comedy festival in Chicago with my, my sketch troupe. And we had a duff night. And the problem with comedy is like, if people don't laugh, you failed, right? There's no like wiggle room. You know, you can blame the audience. Like Jerry Lewis, apparently his diary was either after a good night, he'd write, I killed it tonight. And after a bad night, he'd go, the audience sucked. Right. So you can, you can, but if nobody laughs, it's not a great night. So we had one of those nights and it's, it's getting close to midnight and I'm hopping a cab on my way to uh, stay with a friend uh, who, who lived in Chicago. And, and the, uh, it starts to snow. It's like January. And I, I'm living in LA, have been since, but I, as a kid, I grew up in, in New England. And so like, I love snow, but I never see it. And I'm like, oh, it's snowing. And the cab driver slams on his brakes and turns around to glare at me. I'm like, oh dear, you know, what, 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 what happened? And he starts to talk and his name is Adolf and he's from Ghana and He's telling me about his life, that he came to America to make money so that his uh, siblings could go to school. And, you know, this, this, this just story. And it's one of those things where it was unsolicited, but it was so heartfelt and it didn't feel like a pitch, like he just needed to talk. And I knew clearly I wasn't in Chicago to make people laugh that evening. So I thought, all right, let's talk. So he pulls the cab over. Um, and, uh, he does, he does stop the meter. Um, and, and we just talk and we talk for a couple hours into like about two in the morning and snow's piling up outside the cab. And, and I said to him, well, what's your dream? And I saw this thing that I, I see in people's eyes all the time. When you talk about this stuff where he got this far away, dreamy look in his eyes and a little smile on his face. And then it clouded over and the smile went. he said, I don't have a dream. And I said, well, what was that? And finally, I, I teased it out of him. And people don't even want to go there because it hurts too much inside, mm. right? So I get why they cloud it over. But he, he says, well, my dream is to learn to do construction the way Americans do construction and then go back to my village in Ghana and rebuild it. And I'm, I'm crying now. He's crying because like, I, you know, I didn't, it could have been something horrible, but, but it wasn't like, yeah. and it rarely is. It's almost always something that, that your heart just kind of goes, oh yeah, that wants to happen. And, and so we talked and at the end of that talk, I wanted to give him something. So I said, you know, I gave him my web uh, address and, 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 and he didn't have email 
I mean, he didn't, I mean, it's 2005. Most people did, but not, it was less ubiquitous than now. Um, and I just thought, man, I wish I had something to give him. And that was the moment where I went, I need to write a book. And that, so my first book, which was called, you can have what you want came directly out of that cab ride. Um, and, and it, but, but it, it, it was that everybody's got stuff in them that they would love to bring into being but they've just learned there's no point. It, it, it's a waste of your energy. It's a, it hurts to think about it and not have it. And so they shut it down, forget mm. about it, and set smart goals. Well, look, I get it. If you're corporate and you need to respond to somebody and, and they want to try and find a way of monitoring you because they don't trust you, sure, set a smart goal. But if you want to create in the world, if you want to create companies, if you want to create playgrounds for kids, if you want to create homes in your village, if you want to you, you know, create a different governmental structure, if you want to fly men to Mars, smart goals isn't the way, right? Because it's not smart to do any of those things, right? It's crazy, but it's so worthwhile and it's so fun because you're unleashed you're actually going for something. It's like the difference between, you know, you know um, it's one of my favorite stories in the book. Um, and, and it's, uh, I think the guy whose name was the Reverend Fred Craddock. And, and this is a story he used to tell. And, and he said, yeah, I was visiting one of my, my parishioners and uh, I was sitting out back and an old greyhound came up to me, a sleek, beautiful looking animal. And uh, we started chatting. I said to the greyhound, you know, have you been here since he was a pup? And he said, no, no, I was a racing dog. And I said, oh, were you any good? And the dog said, yeah, I was a champion. He said, really? So why'd you retire? You know, did you get too old? He said, no, I could still win races. And he said, well, why, then, then what happened? You know, were you mistreated by your owners? He said, no, I was treated like a king. I was the star of their stable. I was fed on kibble and caviar. And, you know, I had an amazing life, Massa massages every day. And, and he said, well, then why, why did you retire? And he said, well, you know, we chase this rabbit in the Greyhound races. He said, well, one day I almost caught it and I got a closer look. And I realized the rabbit wasn't real. That's us, right? We spend our lives chasing imaginary rabbits, not realizing that we can spend the same amount of energy and create cathedrals. Mm. We all, I think we all know this, what you're pointing towards, this feeling of uncovering or aligning or what, speaking out our dreams and, the, and what that can do to us when our eyes begin to shine and, you know, it's so palpable and something, we're becoming almost like a conduit for something in the world at that point. And I'd love to ask you here, I think it's, it's really useful for people to know about your, your idea of an inside out understanding because I think that's really fundamental to this. To, to, oh, to it, this, it, yeah. it absolutely is. And I, I, I think in some way, even though I saw the truth about creating and goals before I saw the, the inside out paradigm, I, it makes sense now in a way that it didn't then. Right. And, and essentially all it is, is pointing to how the mind really works. And 
we live in a world of thought, right? We, we, it looks like we're living in a world out here, right? With stuff and stuff happens and we feel about stuff, but there's no feeling to stuff, right? There's no feeling to your bank balance. There's no feeling to your, um, your, your, your husband or your partner. There's no, I mean, physically there is, but how you feel about them changes moment to moment. So we live in a feeling that's thought, but we think we live in a feeling that's stuff. So we try to manipulate the world to feel better, but, but it doesn't work that way. It's like, no matter how wide open you put the cold faucet, you'll never get hot water out of it. Hmm. Right. No matter how perfectly you arrange the circumstances of your life. And I've worked with millionaires and billionaires who spent a lot of time and money doing just that you still think, and since you're feeling thought, you'll still have misery and joy and, and, and sadness and anger and frustration and despair. Like money doesn't do that. The world can't do that to you or for you. And so when you, when you see how it actually works, oh, I'm just living in this kaleidoscope. And I keep thinking the kaleidoscope is real. I'm living a movie and I keep thinking the movie is real. I'm living a dream and I keep thinking the dream is real and try to make the dream better instead of waking up. And, and so, you know, there's, I, I've been doing this long enough that I just have a lot of different ways of talking about it. But in this moment, you know, what occurs to me is, is, is there's basically two things you need to know to, to, to operate really smoothly and gracefully in the world. And one is, that, that, that it's all made up. Your experience of life is all made up. But two is that it's all okay. Because who we are at core, our consciousness, our being, our soul, our spirit, our innate nature, that was never born and never dies. That was here long before the thought of me arose inside it. So it's sort of like a mirror that no matter how much horror it's reflected, the mirror is untainted. And no matter how much joy it's reflected, the mirror is untainted. Consciousness is like that. It's just pure possibility. And it's unaffected by what is created inside it and by what is experienced inside it, which means that we are all as perfect and whole as we were the moment we were born. Babies don't need therapy. That was my first big insight. It sounds stupid, but I didn't know that, obviously, because at some level I thought I was born broken and had spent my life trying to get closer to whole. And when I saw, oh God, we're all sitting in the middle of mental health. We just don't know it. We're all already enlightened. We just don't know it. Well, that did something for me. And it does something for everybody who starts to see it. So you have the understanding of your psychology. Oh, okay. It's, it's all being created moment by moment by thought. I'm not in control of it, but I can have a relationship with it where I'm not victimized by it. Like I, I'm not in control of my thoughts, but they don't control me either. And, and beyond that, I have a place to stand. I have solid ground. Like one of my favorite quotes as a kid because I was a science geek, was from Archimedes. And he said, give me a long enough lever and a place to stand and I can move the world. And the first half of my life and coaching career were spent trying to get better levers 
more leverage. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have a place to stand. There was no solid ground. I kept trying to build it out of beliefs and and values and, and identity and all these things that people told me were solid ground, but they weren't solid ground. They were constantly shifting. They were constantly up for grabs. And so when I finally saw, oh, wow, there is this aspect of the self that doesn't change no matter what, that's constant, not variable. Well, then I had a place to stand and then all my levers worked better because without solid ground, you've got, you got nothing. So it, it seems like one of the things that takes us out of connection with this ground and this place of potentiality is our misunderstanding about who we are and the way the world works, you know, this outside in kind of understanding. I think it's pretty much the only thing that takes us out of it. I mean, occasionally intense physical pain can do it, but even yeah. somebody with chronic pain doesn't experience that as a constant. And so, so the more we, we start to see the truth of our experience, the more, the less interference there is with that kind of potential. Something I've noticed with my clients since, since our last conversation, which was a couple of years back. Yeah was that it's amazing what happens when you get people out of trying to fix problems out of this thinking, which is like, Oh, if I just have that thing one day there, then it will be okay. And they're kind of in this sense of agitation and, and then their agitation is making them more agitated. And if you help them get out of that mode of problem solving and into this, this moment right here, uh, the simplicity of it and the kind of um, a different kind of knowing, which I think emerges out of this, what you're pointing towards, everything starts to settle and they start to connect to um, a clarity or a, an intelligence that, that just, it's very simple, but it knows what the next thing is or, you know, it, like everything settles and suddenly they know what to do. Yeah. That's that exactly my experience. That's exactly yeah. my experience. And it's, it's so reliable that it, it, you know, you started out by asking me about my coaching. Well, maybe part of also what makes my coaching what it is, is I've seen that so many times. It's like telling me the sun's not going to rise this time. Like technically you might be right, but boy, would it shock me. So when somebody, oh yeah, but I've got this. Okay. It, 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 I've not seen anything yet that can stand up to truth. So, so if I think about an impossible goal in that way, if that, all that thinking drops away and then there's this sense of, um, you know, this potentiality and then, and then, you know, the, like you, I think you said this, yeah, that at some point along the way, as you take step by step by step, that what was impossible becomes possible. Yeah. And, and, and all that ever made it impossible was a thought, right? That's it. You, you, you couldn't see how to get there from here. So, oh, well, it must be impossible. Well, no, it's a limit in your seeing, not in reality. So one of the things, one of the reasons I like the metaphor of creation, and it is a metaphor as goals are, I mean, they're, they're not real things, but they're helpful is that when we create, well, we always start with a blank canvas anyways. So like if I showed somebody who didn't know about painting a blank canvas and asked them to recreate Van Gogh's sunflowers, they'd go, well, that's impossible, right? Well, no, it's not. 
you just, it doesn't exist yet, except in your imagination. It doesn't exist yet, except in your mind. But that's the whole game of art, is to get what is inside you out through music, through art, through words, through whatever. Well, it turns out that all of life is art in that sense. That's a business only exists in your mind till you bring it into the world. A client only exists in your mind until you create them in the world. Uh, 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 you know, a partner, a family, these are all things that exist here that can be created in form. And, and look, not everything you want to create will get created. That's just true. But that's a terrible reason not to, to go for it. But I always loved, there's an American football player named Bobby Lane. He was a quarterback for the Detroit Lions. And I think later in his career, the Pittsburgh Steelers. But they used to say about him, yeah, yeah, Bobby, he, he never lost a football game. He just sometimes ran out of time. Hmm. Right? And I think like that about this. It's like, look, what can stop you? I mean, maybe you won't get there. That's true. But that doesn't make it not worth playing the game because playing the game is where we are most alive. Playing the game is where we are most in harmony with this life force. That's flow. That's the groove. That's, that's the zone. That's the thing that every athlete and artist chases. But there's no point chasing it. That's just what life feels like moving through you in action when you are engaged with life. Well, okay, so I want more of that. Just engage with whatever and you'll get more of that. And if you are also engaging with something that you would love to create, I don't know a more beautiful way to spend a lifetime. Mm. You know, good friends, nice glass of wine, and create shit. Mm. It feels like a lot of fun. I mean, even just yeah. talking about it right now, you know, I start to feel, yeah, like I, I can right. feel, exactly. like I feel alive. You're right. <laughs> And that's, that's what we all want. There's a great Joseph Campbell quote. He said, I don't think most people are searching for the meaning of life. They're searching for the feeling of being alive. Mm. Well, we're already alive. So all that's missing is knowing it, feeling it. And people try crazy stuff to do it. They jump off cliffs. They you know, jump out of airplanes. They go to, in, in rough water. They uh, are, are dangerously experimental sexually. They, you know, people will do all sorts of weird and wacky stuff to try and get that feeling, but it's already in you. It's just covered over by years and years and years of thinking that didn't look like thinking. Hmm. Something else, I think you said this earlier, which I think is important to, to reemphasize is like where actually these thoughts come from. Because I think that's, that's really mysterious, isn't it? You know, I, as I've paid attention to that, and I, I remember last time we spoke and I was like, oh, this is really disconcerting, you know, because I thought I was in charge and, and, you know, strategically moving through my life and, you know, building, working hard, like, and I'm, I'm getting there. But actually, the more and more I look at it, the more and more I see, like, I'm not in control of where these thoughts arise from you know they just boom and, and some seem to have more potency than others like I follow them and think they become things like you're saying and others just disappear but nevertheless it's quite mysterious oh it is it's it's one of life's mysteries and I think how cool I mean we can find where a thought originates in the brain as an electrical impulse but 
you know, to me, that neither proves nor denies anything other than that's the interface between the invisible and the visible mm. in, in the brain. Um, you know, there, as you say, the feeling of some thoughts is, I don't know, to me, it has the flavor of God, right? They have something to them that just, it, it feels so rich and alive and whole that I want to be a part of them. And there are other thoughts that are almost like brain farts. Like, you know, it's like, where the hell did that come from? Wow, that stinks, you know. But but you do get a feel for it. You get a feel for thought. And it's not like you've got to pick your thoughts or choose your thoughts. or pay. The problem isn't that we aren't paying attention. The problem is that we're paying way too much attention. Hmm. We're trying to find the individual thought as if somehow, well, if I can isolate the thought, then I can uh, change it or malle it or challenge it, and then I'll be fine. But you're thinking thousands of thoughts a minute. How are you going to do that? But I use the metaphor in one of my books. I don't remember. I think it's in Supercoach of, um, you know, Lucille Ball. I don't know if you ever watched I Love Lucy, but there's an episode where she's working in a chocolate factory and she's like supposed to take out the bad chocolates, but then she starts eating them and then they start piling up and then like she's drowning in chocolate. Like if you try to go in there and fix your thoughts, that's, that's, your, that's your future. I can tell you, I can tell you your future, right? You're going to be drowning in, in, in gooey chocolate, right? Mm. But if you see what thought is. If you look to where it comes from, you get fresh thought. And we can live on fresh thought forever. Right? We don't need yesterday's thinking. We don't need to remember yesterday's insight, yesterday's cool thing we heard on a podcast, because we can go to the source in any moment and get brand new thought that's never been thought before. And that's powerful. Like, there is something about the freshness of an idea of a possibility that carries its own energy with it, that makes it easier to create with because it's like, it's perfectly formed. Right. And then we get lots of thoughts that aren't, right. We get lots of old thoughts like, like, uh, I never quite understood the, the biology of cows, but you know, they throw up in their mouths and then chew on it. Like that's us most of the time with our thinking. Like we throw up old thought into our heads and chew on them and yeah. ruminate and like, oh yeah, boy, that did suck when I was 12. Or, oh my God, that would be awful 30 years from now. Well, that's just a innocent misuse of the power of thought. So, so in some way, like our work is, is about, um, learning to let go and to, to kind of align without making this, I, I get it's not a strategic, you know, it's like, well, it's getting beyond I, strategy. Yeah. But, and, and here's why, like here, he, 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 cause, cause to my mind, it's not even learning to let go. It's learning to see if I see clearly that I'm being handed the blade of a knife, not the handle, I don't need to learn to let go. I'm not going to touch it. But if it looks like the handle to me, I'll grab it. And as it slices through my fingers, I'll think, wow, I need to learn to let go. Well, no, you need to learn. <laughs> you need to see what you're actually dealing with. Yeah. 
right? And that's the beauty of it. Like to my mind, why I love this kind of coaching, I haven't gotten remotely tired of it in the 10 years I've been doing it, is it's different every single time. Even though I'm talking about the same things, I'm pointing to the same truths about human beings and life, the conversation's different every time. Because it's just a game of if I can get you to look where I'm pointing, you will see because it's there. I don't have to get you to do anything else because literally whatever you look at, you see, we're already made to see what we're looking at, but we have so many ways to not look within, Hmm. to not look, or if we look within, we get stuck at the level of psychology and we don't see anything other than that. We don't see through to the mirror that's reflecting it. We get caught up in the words and miss the page. We get caught up in the clouds and miss the sky. Right? So that's the art of transformative coaching. That's the art of, of the coaching side of this is finding ways to get people to look to that, which is real and constant and true beyond the really interesting constant variety of thinking that that's filling up the system to the point where you don't notice there's a system. So I imagine you spend a good part of your coaching helping people to, you know, see in that way. Yeah, I mean, so I, I pretty invariably will, will start any coaching engagement with three days together. Mm. And that's so we can really take the time to look in that direction together, um, to not be all about their goals, to not be all about their problems. Um, now, you know, occasionally, you know, I had it recently where an executive had a basically a big meeting with the chairman of a company group that he was the CEO of. And so we did spend a lot of our three days dealing with what was actually about to happen. But even with him, we spent a good day just looking at the nature of thought, the nature of mind, the nature of consciousness. And that was what gave him, that's what settled him down to the point where the genius that made him a great CEO could show up in the meeting. So yeah, I absolutely do because it's at the heart of everything. If you see that, most of the rest of it's easy. Right? If you don't see that, everything is hard. It's difficult. It's a challenge, but I'm up for it. Right? All these things we think of as good. Wow, I can push through any challenge. I can handle so much stress. Pressure... I, you know, pressure doesn't get to me, man. Well, all of that is actually only helpful if you're in a misunderstanding of how life works. When you're seeing that there is no pressure in the world, only in thought, there is no stress in the world, only in thought. There's, it's then suddenly being better at handling it. Well, that's like being better at fighting imaginary dragons. Like Mm. good for you, but they were never there in the first place. Nice. So um, just checking on the time, um, got a few minutes to go. What would be, what would you say to coaches listening to this then, you know, as being how they could bring this into their coaching or the secret to, to this way of coaching? Well, the, the, at, a, at a most basic level, you can only share what you see, mm. right? It doesn't work to, um, share somebody else's insights beyond a certain point. So your, your insights kind of become your credibility. 
Not that you're going to share your insights. Well, what I've seen is blah, 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 blah. Other than as a way of pointing to something that's already true beyond the personal. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good place to ask you to share with the the audience. Like, how can we find out more about what you're up to? So supercoachacademy.com is where we announce. I I tend to do uh, one academy a year. I've taken a few years off to just rejig it. This year, uh, we're doing a, our first ever European Academy in um, the live weeks are going to be in London, Athens, and Prague. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's an intense program. It's six months where there's classes every single week. You have to do a ton of coaching sessions to get certified, but boy, do you come out of there with a grounding in this? Mm. Um, but then there are tons of programs that, you know, keep trying to find ways of sharing this that other people can hear. So we have all these online programs. Anita Morjani and I are about to bring out a program called Experiencing God, looking at this from a, a you know a pure spiritual sense in another way. Um, I'm doing a rewrite, actually. It's gonna come out in September, October of Supercoach, which was my mm. first attempt um, at talking about this. And 10 years on, I went back and I went, yeah, let me try that again. <laughs> so that's, that's going to come out in the fall. So I'm, I, and you know, the caffeine for the soul podcast, basically michaelneal.org. Why don't we do that? Yeah. Everything I do comes through michaelneal.org. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really want to say um, it's had a big impact on the way I coach. I've not done, you know, the, the coaching Academy you do, but this kind of a thing now is what the world is needing. So- it's how it looks to me. Look, my daughter, my 20-year-old daughter who's studying um, philosophy and social justice at university, mm. you know, she comes down and this, this saved her life, literally. Like she was a, a, a really, she had a tough time as a teenager. And so we took her out of school and she just traveled with me as I lectured. And she started to see it. And it's totally changed the way she understands life. But we, we have this sort of constant conversation about how it's possible to change the world without being angry at it. And that's one of the coolest things for me is that when people wake up to this, it's obvious what needs to be done and it's not a big deal. And it, you don't need to fuel it with anger and hate because the problem with anger and hate is a, they burn bright, but they burn quick. So people burn out, but B they, they do your system some damage along the way and C they carry the flavor of anger and hate. So everything becomes the fruit of the poisonous tree. Whereas if you look at where true change has come in the world, it's always loving disruption, not angry disruption. Yeah. Angry disruption might last a couple of generations. Loving disruption changes the world. Hmm. Well, we need more of that right now. I'm I'm with you, brother. (laughs) Hey, Michael, I want to just say a big thanks. Um, I know we're nearly at the time we said we would uh, end this conversation. So, um, but big thank you. Like I always learn a lot about this. And I I just, I think that's one thing that stands out for me is coming back to this conversation again and again, like you said, you know, it's not a strategy, but it's something to immerse yourself in and, and then it will transform you. And so, yeah, I'm I'm appreciative of our time together. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure. Hello, it's Joel here. Again, just a quick one to say, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more on our website by heading to coachesrising.com forward slash podcast. And I would love it if you would share this this conversation 
if you're inspired by it, to let as many people, as many coaches know about it as possible. So hope you feel inspired to do that, and I'll see you next time.